Is everybody recording? I have a little story to tell before we get started. Oh, good. Yo. I'm very excited to hear this story from the voice of a new generation himself. <laughs> the voice of a new generation? Look at your shirt. <laughs> Pepsi Zero? <laughs> oh, because Pep, Pepsi. Oh, man. See, this is the problem. You don't the, the Wayne's World. Have you seen Wayne's World? Oh, not in ages. Oh, not that, since I was in high school. The scene when they, the, when they sell out. It's the music, it's the music uh, sitcom, not sitcom, uh, comedy movie. Sort yeah. of. But Airheads, so like, I love that movie. They have a scene where they sell oh, out. Oh, Coneheads, the aliens, right. And, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and one of them is dressed up in Pepsi gear, and he's like, you know, it's really sad that everybody's selling out these days. We really just need more people to listen to the voice of a new generation, and then cracks a Pepsi. <laughs> 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 well, Anyways, anyway, I apologize. What is no, your story? It's, it's all good. Uh, uh, I am the voice of a new generation, just for totally <laughs> different reasons. Um, I found out that one of the places that I service as the guy who fills up vending machines is a closed campus, and that's why oh. they that's why they go through so much fucking food all the time, despite the fact that vending machine food that you like put in the microwave is some of the worst dog shit on the planet. Mm -hmm. I was like, why is, <laughs> I come here twice a week. Why is it always completely empty when I showed up? They're literally not allowed to leave for insurance reasons. And insurance reasons. Insurance. And nobody's I, allowed I to be. I assumed you were going to say, like, they were a defense contractor or something. They have some bizarre security routine or something. No, man. They fabricate metal parts, just like half of fucking warehouses, <laughs> production facilities of the Wait, country. Wait, so these are adults who are not allowed to leave their job? Yeah, you have to stay on school campus until you're a junior. <laughs> 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 yeah and then they let you then they let you park your car there and then go and, uh, out for lunch <laughs> yeah and it's like also nobody's allowed to be a smoker they won't even hire you if you smoke cigarettes or vape and then the other thing was uh oh it's an aesop the whole place is like <laughs> they they're constantly bragging about like employee owned 100 percent employee owned oh, I'm like, that's so fucking weird because I don't see the dudes driving the forklifts making executive decisions. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, what a good illustration like, of how bullshit ESOPs are. Yeah. I feel like I know what place you're talking about now that you say that. And if I remember correctly, everybody says that's the worst job in town. Is it Rapid Line? <laughs> oh, no, it's not. No, it's. Uh, um, it's are you talking one. about Magna? No, what is there a bunch of? There's a lot of places like this. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep going. Uh, Autokinaton is also similar. Um, it's, it's these you get it's to over these by neighbors, the car dealerships. There's there's districts like this here in Providence where you drive past like 15 completely nondescript gray brown buildings mm -hmm. that have like a sign next to their loading dock, and it's impossible to figure out what the fuck they do unless you actually work made. with that company. Yeah, and you're always trying to avoid the huge trucks that are pulling yeah. in and out of their lot. Yeah, it's always like small manufacturer, import export business, mm -hmm. like strange company that should not still be in business and yet never goes away. You just described <laughs> the back half of my Wednesday, where I go to a place that uh, uh, makes steel parts and then a place that distributes boxes. I'm not even <laughs> fucking kidding. Boxes. <laughs> and then I go uh, every, one Wednesday a month, I go to a place that makes parts for video like casino, like video poker machines and shit. <laughs> wow. It's That's so the weird. fun place, right? No, everyone Wait, do they, they don't have a vending machine that's also a slot machine, do they? You don't get to play anything. It's just a bunch of disassembled <laughs> machines and dudes who look like they eat cigarettes. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now I just want a slot machine oh, that's also a vending machine. Tr- truly, truly. Well, <laughs> until we get a machine that can roll a seven 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 and spit out cheeseburger. <laughs> John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're an entirely listener-supported show, so thank you so much. If you do support the show, it really does go a long way. If you don't, consider donating to us on Patreon and getting access to all of our bonus content. If you're not in the Discord already, hop in there. And if you are a patron who needs stickers, message us on Patreon and we will get them to you as fast as we can. If you want to help the show a little bit more, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on a cheeseburger in a vending machine. <laughs> How you're yeah. going to get it back into the vending machine is up to you. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I just also want to remind people that we are starting a reading, or well, we've started a reading group in the Discord, if you want. That happens on Saturdays at 1 Eastern time. And uh, we they just started No Shortcuts, so uh, jump in if you want to get on the reading uh, group train. Cheeseburger train. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, just real quick before we get into our main stories this week, got a few quick headlines want to run through. You know, don't want to miss these important stories that, while we don't have a ton to talk about, are still, you know, uh, very important news from the world of labor. Like, for instance, to start off, we just want to congratulate workers at REI in Chicago who voted last week 41 to 8 to unionize with the RWDSU, making them the fourth store to officially win their election and join the union wave there. Hell yeah. Uh, We also want to throw out our congratulations to the academic workers at Rutgers who voted 93% in favor of ratifying the new contract that they won through the first strike in campus history, and they just got that vote in today. Uh, We went into more detail on what they secured in that framework agreement back in episode 153, so if you want more of the details on that, you can check that out in that episode. Yeah, and then speaking of things that we covered in other episodes, we talked last episode about the Teamsters uh, unionizing the uh, DSP or uh, what is it, the delivery service partner from Amazon, and they fi- they actually filed the ULP last Friday on May fourth to basically do exactly what we what we said they were going to do, uh, try to challenge them as a joint employer, and uh, hopefully get some change in the legislation and cha- set a precedent for uh, making sure that the workers at these DSPs are considered employees at Amazon. Yeah, huge precedent. So we'll absolutely be watching that. Like that could be. I mean, they could really completely change the game for organizing at Amazon. So, but one last shout out to the uh, teachers in Oakland, California, who are on strike for the third day as of today's recording. Uh, unfortunately, there was so much happening this week, I didn't get a chance to write notes for that. So, apologize. But if they're still on strike next week, we'll definitely be talking about it. So, uh, but but regardless, we wanted to express our solidarity with these teachers, who of course deserve everything that they're fighting for. So, good luck to the teachers of Oakland with that strike. Well, and either they uh, are still on strike and we get to support them that way, or they get everything that they demanded and uh, we get to report that too. That's, That's right. what the economists call a win-win. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's right. But, of course, we got to start this week with the biggest story in labor uh, that everybody has been talking about, which is the writer's strike. Uh, You know, probably we should have had an update that it was about to come down to the wire last week, but there was so much going on. So, you know, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, there, the negotiations between the Writers Guild of America and the Hollywood studios and streaming companies represented by the trade cartel, the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, <laughs> had been going on for months with really no progress. And so uh, right at the deadline, uh, at midnight on May 1st, the Writers Guild announced that they would, in fact, be going on strike. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and so on Tuesday, 11,000 writers, largely concentrated in New York City and LA, but not entirely, hit the picket lines. And so we we talked a couple of weeks ago about what the core issues that the writers are are fighting for in this. Uh, you know, the fact that their wages have consistently dropped over the last five years, that they are suffering from systemic understaffing through the use of what are called mini rooms, where they don't hire nearly enough writers for a show. Their residual payments from streaming services are so small that they might as well be worthless in many cases. I've seen multiple writers posting pictures of checks for two and three cents Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like this is the same thing that we saw when it came to uh checks at other sorts of streaming services related to music a couple of years ago and there's also a quote later in the story about that exactly and then just generally fighting back against the industry's attempt to turn writing into a gig job uh, that they're attempting to enforce by threatening workers with being replaced by AI, which we'll get to in a little more detail. So those are the the, the primary issues, you know, that the writers are fighting over. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of, like, kind of existential stuff for writing as a profession in, in Hollywood. And... The union has has provided a lot of information. I know, like Adam Conover has kind of become like kind of the the spokesman amongst the labor press, and they they've provided like a full breakdown of what was going on in their negotiation, issue by issue, and they laid out that on the mismatch between traditional and streaming platforms and how writers are compensated, the writers proposed equalizing the pay and residuals between streaming and traditional because there really isn't much difference between them anymore. Uh, the studio's response was, no. <laughs> not, oh, we'll meet you at this point. Not, we can negotiate. It was just, we're not changing anything. No, well, I mean, like, the the streaming model has really been an absolute goldmine for them because yes. it, it gives them so many loopholes in various contracts, in the law, for instance. And they really, I mean, it, it's all about setting precedent for them. They're so scared that if they even have to be like, oh, we'll give you four cents instead of two cents, that that leads to them giving you a dollar. And then God knows what happens. All the buildings in the country could burn down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they're just showing up to the bargaining ta- like with a table with a, bu- a copy of if you give a mouse a cookie like that's their organizing (laughs) bible by Uh, thomas pynchon (laughs) uh and so uh, on the current use of mini rooms largely by streaming platforms and thus the resulting consistent understaffing writers proposed minimum staffing levels based on series length as well as a number a minimum number of weeks of pay per season in order to sort of like regularize their work and provide a level of job security that they would be able to you know plan out their lives like anybody else. Uh, The studios in response to those 
proposals, uh, again, just said, uh, no, we're not negotiating on any of that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually the, the big sheet of paper that has everything lined out literally is like, this is the union's proposal, and everything in the other column is the uh, the conglomerate of these studios saying, how about none of this? How about literally none of this? Yeah, and and so one of the big ones is specifically regulations regarding the use of AI. Uh, so in order to protect, you know, the existence of writing as a profession, and also ultimately to protect the quality of the industry's product, writers proposed regulating the use of AI, including banning its use to write and to rewrite content, and that it cannot be used as source material, which seems pretty reasonable because if you've ever read any of the dog shit that comes out of an AI algorithm, it is not the sort of thing you would want to watch a television show based on. Well, I find this part of the story particularly interesting because we saw something happen in the game studio space relatively recently, and this is literally just months ago, where certain studios were kind of getting like really active about like using AI art as models, and then it turns out that the management teams found it to be so woefully difficult and and unrewarding to implement that they just banned it. They said, uh-huh. we're not doing this in our industry. And it's pretty close to industry-wide. So it's very, very funny that the the studios think that they can act like the AI is going to produce like uh, The Sopranos 2 or something when it <laughs> right. mo- manifestly is not going to, you know? <laughs> right. And, and the example I always want to use with AI, because I've seen so many people buy into the the propaganda around this from the studios that that writing is like a fake job, basically creative work generally. Oh, this you a computer could do this, but <laughs> a if you've ever looked at any of the output from any of these chatbots before, you, uh, you would know immediately that these cannot replace writers. But more importantly. This threat generally, because this will still be true five years from now, even when these algorithms improve, the threat of AI is not a real threat. The, the studios are not going to replace all the writers with AI because they know the product will be fucking terrible. They're going to replace the writers with worse writers, which was always the plan. Right, but yeah, exactly. What it serves is the same function that the threat of kiosks and automation serve in the fast food industry. The Absolutely. same thing you hear every time that we, we talk about workers advocating for a higher wage for fast food workers. You always hear, oh, you do that? Well, they're just going to replace you with a kiosk. And then they never do because nobody wants food made by a fucking kiosk because it's terrible for the same reason that nobody wants to watch a movie written by a chat bot because it'll somehow be even worse than the fucking green screen laser beam shit we're getting from the MCU. But Dan, a story <laughs> is not a cheeseburger. Yeah, I'm very I, uh... good at lateral thinking. <laughs> I just think about all of the different ways in which people tried to like automate music making and mm-hmm. and all of that and uh sometimes it would be like oh this song is kind of kind of neat and then it turns out that the people like hand selected which randomized parts were actually put into the song yeah, right. it's like if you go in and you just like have such granular control over the AI that you're designing everything by hand anyway, just open the fucking word processing program and <laughs> yeah. type it out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, realistically, 
what AI will be used for in the short term is really mostly to just be a threat. It will not actually be used Mm -mm. except to do the most, you know, dog shit first pass copywriting for the worst commercial you've ever seen. Uh, But it doesn't have to be effective to be a powerful threat. I actually did see that fake, what was it? The like the, It was either like a fake beer commercial or like a fake, fake soda commercial and just like the stupidest fucking thing <laughs> in the world. Well, yeah. And I also want to caution people because it's easy to start to think like, oh, AI is not going to be fucking useful any, for anything and it's just going to go away and eventually this conversation right. is going to end. That's not fucking true either. No. Because AI is useful for some things. Like, it's really good at figuring out if you plagiarized something, for instance, because it can compare long sections of text from a ton of different sources really rapidly. Because it's an expert on plagiarism. Because it's a fucking program. (laughs) That's the other thing. It's not an artificial intelligence. We use that phrase so loosely. We've never made an AI. What we call AI is algorithmic processes, neural networks, and a couple of other fancy bits of technology that we've developed since then, but mostly is tech that dates back decades already and has already been widely implemented for most of the things it's good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but we have also heard, you know, from the writers themselves talking about the awful mm-hmm. conditions that they've been facing. So Sharon Rothstein explained to Alex Press at Jacobin how the intentional understaffing and short cycle production on especially streaming shows, but really throughout the industry, has degraded the quality of life for writers. She said, quote, the amount of time we have to write a show has shrunk and the amount of writers who they will hire to write that show has shrunk. So writers end up only working six 10 or maybe 12 weeks in a year. You can't piece together a sustainable living doing that, end quote. Wow. So they're doing crunch from the games industry and understaffing from retail and manufacturing. And and everything and teaching. But yeah, that's (laughs) really rough. And being told that they should live on three months of work a year at most. Right. And and I've seen people be like, oh, wow, you only have to work six weeks a year. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Read <laughs> what they are saying. If those people were offered a million dollars or dinner with Jay-Z, they would eat dinner with Jay-Z. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's fucking ridiculous. But so Adam Conover also explained in this the same really good piece in Jacobin um, about some of the other ways that the studios are fucking with writers, like the fact that they want to make comedy writers and like uh, people who write for like the late night shows or SNL and, and, and various, you know, like skit type programs. They want to convert their jobs to a day rate, like <sighs> rather than long-term contracts, even on the like multiple week time frame. So they would not know day to day whether they still would have a job. <laughs> What's next? You're going to take away the fucking craft services table. Guess what? You probably already fucking did. Like <laughs> this yeah. is really disgraceful. The idea that like, sh- that like sketch comedy should be written by Uber drivers, mm-hmm. basically. <sighs> Yeah. That just makes me furious. They're also refusing to change the way that payment schedules are done for screenwriters because right now, and I don't understand how this ever made it through. This is bizarre to me. Screenwriters get paid twice ever on their job. They get paid one chunk at the start of the job and then they get paid all the way at the end. And now that may seem like, well, I mean, you've, you care about how much you're being paid, not the schedule. That Why does that matter? The reason it's a problem is because it's not a regular scheduled payout and it's one at the end of the job, it gives producers and directors and you know studio execs massive leverage 
over screenwriters to make them do more free work by holding off on that end payment and being like, oh, we need you to rewrite that before it's done. Oh, we need you to rewrite that again. Oh, we need you to rewrite that again. And just not paying them. Like a, like a reverse sort of Damocles where it's like, we, <laughs> Kinda, we won't yeah. drop the life-saving medicine into the hole and let you pay your mortgage or your rent or whatever until you, until you go through like version 65 of this episode of Barry. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and speaking specifically on the refusal of the studios to even bargain at all on the issue of AI, he said, quote, it's like if you ask someone, hey, would you agree that you're not going to pull out a gun and shoot me in the stomach? And that person says, I'm not going to agree to that. Uh, suddenly you think, wait, I, I didn't think you were going to do that, but now I'm worried you are or else yeah. you'd agree to not do it. End quote. My nonchalance about shooting, not shooting you with a gun has raised a lot of questions already answered by my nonchalance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, on the second evening of the strike on Wednesday, May 3rd, the WGA held a membership meeting and solidarity rally in LA with 1,800 union members and representatives from a whole swath of major unions. Of course, there were representatives from the two other largest creative unions in Hollywood, SAG-AFTRA and the DGA, representing actors and directors, who both have contracts expiring relatively soon, I think next month. Mm -hmm. uh, and so potentially they could theoretically join the writers on strike if their strike lasts that long and previous writer strikes have lasted in the three to five month range. So you could see an entire industry shutdown uh, from all three of those unions at the same time. I can't wait to see David Lynch's picket sign. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, he's just going to break out the same bit that he did when he was like trying to get an Oscar for Laura Dern and he's like sitting out there like with a sign and a live cow for some reason. Yeah. You write the sign, asshole. I'm on strike. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And so of course also Ayatsi was there, you know, the union representing the production workers who have been strongly in support of the writers sending their members to join the writers on the picket lines. And uh Darcy Fowler, who's a TV writer, told Variety, quote, it's been scary, but it's also been really reaffirming. I've never been in a room with so many people in this industry with one drive, one goal. We all feel pumped, united, and just so supported, end quote. That's like the polar opposite of everything I've ever heard about Hollywood. That must be such a reprieve for these folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems like it's generally a nightmare. And then uh, you know, you got videos of people being like, you know, this solidarity thing actually fucking rips. Yeah. And a, a particular hit at the, uh, the big rally was the appearance by Lindsay Doherty, who is the head of Teamster Local 399 in Los Angeles, who vowed that as long as the workers are on the picket lines, the Teamsters will not cross them, saying, quote, Every single truck that we know of has not crossed. We're all sticking together. We have an opportunity to change things in this industry, and the only way we're going to do that is if we're together. Hell yeah. Teamsters whip ass. Good luck getting shit on your Hollywood sets. That's right. Um, and I just got to say, one of the things that's been super cool has been the fact that the Teamsters' clause about not crossing picket lines doesn't have really much of a minimum as far as how big the picket line has to be. So there have been whole studio like productions that have been trying to like work on scab labor during the strike that have been completely shut down because they can't get deliveries from the Teamsters because three people were holding up a picket line. I love oh it. Oh my God. It's well, so it, cool. And it's mostly <laughs> because like, even if like they know that the people are on strike, 
Uh, well, I guess I don't want to jump ahead to that. <laughs> well, I mean, just imagine like you are a big wig Hollywood director with like three different $5 million houses and you can't get any work done on your multi-billion dollar project, whatever million dollar project, because the guys from workaholics are standing around causing a scene in front of your door. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and I want to point that out because I think a lot of people may wonder with this being a writer's strike, being like, well, what are they actually picketing? Like, why are there picket lines? Like, they write. They're mostly doing this on their laptops. So, like, if this is all done online, why does it matter? And that's precisely why it matters because having those folks there on the picket line not only, you know, annoys the bosses and makes a lot of noise and rallies solidarity and gets people together and understanding what's the unions for, which is all very valuable in and of itself, but by having that physical presence of, again, only two or three workers uh, at a time, that is enough to keep the Teamsters from serving those production sites, which essentially forces them to shut down. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because they can't just know that they're on strike and turn around. They'd, like, based on the contract, have to see the picket line. Right. Um, and so... There have been, there's been lots and lots of messages from a lot of very famous people, of course, this being a Hollywood and New York City-based strike, largely, uh, that have, who've come out in support of the writers. Um, there's a, way too many, you know, like actors and other famous people to mention. Right. Um, but in particular, <laughs> there was an interview that was also done by Variety, who I, I, I just want to say, like, of the various Hollywood press, Variety's knocking out of the park and actually like presenting this relatively like mostly from the workers angle, which is great. Seems um, like the workers at variety are doing some good shit as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, whereas some of the other Hollywood press, uh, not so much, but, mm. um, they interviewed Snoop Dogg and he laid out, I think really well, like exactly like the parallels between what these writers are fighting for. And as, as you mentioned, Lena, like what musicians have been fighting for with the streaming industry saying, he said, quote, artists need to figure it out the same way the writers are figuring it out. The writers are striking because of streaming. They can't get paid because when it's on the platform, it's not like in the box office. I don't understand how the fuck you get paid off that shit. Somebody explained to me how you can get a billion streams and not get a million dollars. That's the main gripe with a lot of us artists is that we do major numbers, but it don't add up the money. Like where the fuck is the money? Man. <laughs> That is such a great quote, and it echoes stuff that you've heard about so many people throughout entertainment throughout the years, which is like, it's very, very easy to get fucked over. One of my favorite conspiracy theories, and <laughs> I don't know, I kind of believe it, is that Bob Dylan uh, is always on fucking tour because uh, he's just, he's locked into that contract. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they they, they own his soul, basically. Oh, yeah. Like Little Wayne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fucked. So... It's really been great to see that solidarity really across the whole creative sector. Um, and so we've already seen the material impact, not only with shutting down production of, of shows that would air in the future, but also directly shutting down a few of the, you know, more quick turnaround shows, like specifically the late night talk shows and SNL, which, you know, of course, no major loss to the culture, but like it's important for the people that like are, would be on the fence, like the libs. Cause it's like, look here, an immediate impact, uh, for you watching, you know, Colbert or Fallon or whatever. And speaking of Fallon, actually writers on Fallon show were initially told they'd immediately lose their pay and healthcare at the start of the strike. But following an outcry after that news was made public, the show reversed itself and offered to cover uh, workers for two weeks, similar to other shows mm. that That's did it without prompting too little. Um, and 
other programs, like oh, some award shows have seen immediate impacts, like Drew Barrymore uh, pulled out of hosting the MTV Movie Awards in solidarity with the writers, which that, and along with the fact that they wouldn't have any writers involved in the production, uh, d- uh, shut down the production of that show. Oh my God, um, I didn't realize awards shows could get worse, but there are jokes interspersed mm-hmm. in there, aren't there? Good, good lord! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. Think I mean, about I imagine that. if they tried to pull it off now, it would just be a video reel of like, here's this person they won this thing. Here's that they would, <laughs> which, I mean, you can compare that to what they end up doing normally, and you can decide which is worse. But like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, in less funny news. Uh, the the picket lines on this strike have already seen some of the same sort of aggressive behavior from drivers, which is, uh, putting it lightly, uh, that we've seen against picket lines with increasing frequency over the last few years. On Thursday, May 4th, a driver accelerated into a picket line at Universal Studios, hitting two picketing workers. Thankfully, they had spotted the car ahead of time and were able to mostly get out of the way, so they weren't injured as the car sped away. But this tactic, and again, whether... It, impossible to know like for now with like whether that was just some incredibly impatient asshole uh or if it was an actual you know directed intentional attack but like regardless i just i wanted to just want to mention it because like even a strike like this where it's very prominent very famous and uh you know like even that has seen this sort of you know attack by cars and so i think this is something that unions just broadly are going to need to grapple with and come up with plans to deal with, whether it's, uh, you know, having escort blocking vehicles where possible at picket lines, whether or, it's handing out caltrops to people, not well, actually <laughs> suggesting doing that. I'm just raising hypotheticals. That's no just, idea. You know, that's a funny people, Dungeons and Dragons joke we like to tell. People can't, you know, like the, the vehicles are, are, you know, being dangerous. You could disable them, you know? Well, and also, like, I, it, I think a lot of people may not think of this as being the type of strike that's going to attract physical violence compared to something that might disrupt, like, a major city center or a commute or something. But, like, I don't know. People get crazy about their shows, and there's a lot of people out there who just hate Hollywood, and they make no distinction between the folks at the top and the writers or the actors or anyone. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that you have to take really seriously, and I'm really glad that these these two picketing workers were able to get out of the way, but, like, going forward, it might be a good idea for them to to beef up their, their plans to handle, uh, to, to be able to expect the unexpected, basically. We need, like, the we need a way to, and this is a fake thing that would, because it violates a lot of laws of physics, but where you could just, like, carry around deployable bollards. Oh man, a bollard, like a bollard gun, like a portal gun, but it puts a bollard in the ground. A bollard is a thing that's fixed into the ground that's able to stop a car. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. You see them all over the place. And Uh, yeah. (laughs) A lot of those big giant concrete flower planters you see strategically placed in cities are concealed bollards. I mean, it wouldn't be totally insane. I'm just saying to construct bollards on a picket line. You could do it in an afternoon and you're gonna be there anyway this is not advice (laughs) (laughs) it raises a whole host of other issues but it but our point here is that this is this tactic is not going away and unions need to come up with a solution to keep strikers safe absolutely 
Yeah, I mean, like, blocking uh, entryways and stuff like that is often uh, already illegalized by the police. But really, if it's a safety issue, we should be fighting more to have vehicles on the picket line in order to protect striking workers, at the very least. Yeah, and so, you know, this strike, this huge story this week has brought so many of the same issues of low pay, intentional understaffing, aggressive automation, uh, and even to the detriment of the quality of the product, and the attempt to turn all jobs into precarious gig work into the national spotlight. And the solidarity shown between all the various unions that have been working on this strike with the WGA. Um, and it also presents an opportunity for the rank and file members of all those unions to use this chance to build solidarity networks that can last beyond this strike too, to keep in contact so that, you know, when one of, when, you know, SAG-AFTRA or the DGA or IATSE or the Teamsters go on strike, the writers can come out and support the direct, you know, et cetera. And, and if it drags on long enough, we may get the chance to see the first wall to wall creative strike in Hollywood in our lifetime, which would be incredibly cool with the actors, directors, and writers all out on strike at the same time. So this is a really big moment to raise consciousness around labor and the benefits that unions provide as we head into the summer and the potential for the historic UPS strike that may be coming in just a couple of months. And also This strike really also represents maybe some of the first shots in the fight back against the use of AI, not to replace workers, but to make their jobs way fucking worse. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I'll solidarity with these workers, and we hope to see them uh, winning everything that they demand. And uh, also, I want to thank the listeners. That's probably the longest segment that we've had so far, but we are going to top it as soon as the Teamsters go on strike. So stick around for that. But that'll have dedicated. We'll probably just have to do UPS strike episodes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, in our next topic, we're going to be talking about a recent case of union busting in Massachusetts, which highlighted both the racist nature of the country's labor law, but also the continual problem of temp agencies and contracting firms. So reporting for Labor Notes, Luis Feliz León laid out the story uh, of hundreds of immigrant workers in eastern fisheries, uh, a major producer of fish products, who were recently fired because of their organizing activities they were employed by a temp agency making this one of the many recent cases testing the legal loopholes of the model of using labor firms uh and to contract workout and the way in which that relates to actual uh you know, ability to form unions. Uh, Eastern Fisheries Factory in New Bedford, Massachusetts, employs about 500 workers, mostly immigrants from Central America and Cape Verde. Workers at the plant make uh, $15 an hour, or yeah, make about $15 an hour, uh, the minimum wage in Massachusetts, uh, to uh, fillet and debone fish for packaging and sale. Traditionally, they've used multiple temp staff agencies to hire their labor force as a way of insulating themselves from labor law. They've also, like many other companies, intentionally used the language uh, used the language barrier that exists because of these workers being migrant workers. And the fact that many of these immigrants don't know about U.S. labor law and the protections that are afforded by that to basically super exploit these workers. 
Uh, an example is back in January 2022, they implemented a new Taylorist quota system penalizing workers for producing less than 200 pounds of deboned cod every hour. When workers complained uh, that this speed up was too much and forcing them to skip bathroom breaks, the bosses retaliated. They hauled one of the most vocal worker leaders, Ruth Castro, uh, who worked at the plant for over five years, into the boss's office and refused to provide an interpreter for her as they fired her. Like, That's disgraceful. There, there's just like, there's n- very little to no protections. And without actually, you know, having, you know, many different uh, paths to for these workers to protect themselves, it's this sort of exploitation is just an example of what is very likely and almost certainly pervasive throughout the entire country. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. And the fact, though, that it's like, this is just one of those things where I'm like, the fact that this is even a piecework-based system, like, should obviously be illegal. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, you you only produced 180 pounds of debone cod an hour? You're fired. It's like, what? I don't think I could (laughs) debone one cod in an hour. I think an hour in, I would have a cod I gave up on, and I'd be halfway (laughs) through a cod I feel okay about. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Like it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It is just classic Taylorism. It's like, oh, how many ways are is you know U.S. labor relations going back to the start of the fucking twentieth century to the twenty first? Yeah, well, and it's also like the weaponization of the language barrier is is particularly mm-hmm. disgraceful because I mean, like, that's just flagrant. <laughs> open on its face racism <laughs> yeah. and and plenty of other forms of bigotry i'm not erudite enough to know the names of and <laughs> it's it's it 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 hurts because you know that this isn't the like first time they've done this you know that this is like the kind of plan that they like to fall back on because like when things like this come to a head and we hear about it for the first time you know that's not the first time any of this has gone down Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And that's just, it's, I mean, that's pervasive throughout Mm -hmm. that the, you know, agricultural workforce in in meat packing in really in any industry where they employ a large number of migrants, bosses will exploit the shit out of the language barrier. They'll be extraordinarily selective on which documents they translate. None of the labor law ones, but any of the ones where it's like, uh, actually like, you know, the workers need to contribute to the local Republican party or whatever, that'll be translated or whatever. Uh, it's the, they're very, very keen to exploit that, to prevent workers from understanding their rights at all. And so these workers though, thankfully had been organizing for several years with the help of a local worker center, the, uh, Centro Comunitario de Trabajadores, and they formed a committee called Pescando Justicia, or Fishing for Justice, which I think is a great name. That um, rocks. And they fought many battles with Eastern fisheries, including uh, and and other you know fish producers in the area, winning sexual harassment protections for workers and fighting for a safer environment at the plant once COVID started. And that organizing, though, has been seen as a threat by both Eastern Fisheries and the temp agencies like BJ's service company, which was like the direct employer of, of Ms. Castro, um, that they've hired to be their sort of smoke screen to protect them from labor law. And so 
her firing was eventually ruled illegal retaliation, and she was awarded back pay and then rehired. And so in response, the company escalated and instead fired all of their temp workers rather than accept a confident and empowered workforce. They chose to throw over 100 workers on the streets after lying and saying that they would be rehired if they applied directly for their own jobs. In per- and and it ultimately, the whole point of this is that this will almost certainly hurt the business in the short term because they'll, they're down 100 workers. But they're willing to take that temporary hit in exchange for like having a beaten down exploitable workforce instead of one that's self-confident. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely stunning that they're willing to go to this length and uh, it's unfortunately all too common of a tactic because if you have the right kind of capitalist who is in tune with what their class interests are, labor discipline becomes incredibly important to them. Uh, and they would rather throw you out on the street than set any kind of precedent that says like, uh, you know, not that we have to give you better conditions or anything, but just that we can't, we can't just fire you for whatever reason at whatever time. That's too much of an affront to our power as the owners. Yeah. And, and so, but the workers, you know, have tried to fight back, uh, after the decision was made to terminate their temp contracts, dozens of workers marched on the boss to demand that their former coworkers who now have been fired be rehired. They're also fighting back against the company now deciding to use the E-Verify system to determine whether or not the people they're hiring have documents to be in the United States, Uh, which this is the thing. They don't give a shit about whether somebody has papers or not. They don't. They are using this purely as a method, as an excuse to paper over what is just the most obvious illegal retaliation for protected concerted activity, you know, that you could imagine. It's just obvious retaliation. They're like, no, no, we're being responsible citizens and using E-Verify or whatever. And this stupid, it is racist bullshit. And it, but what I think is important though to mention about that is that it demonstrates the purpose of how U.S. immigration law is written. Sorry, not labor law. Uh, that it is specifically focused around this sort of thing, around repressing workers' rights. It's not really written to keep undocumented workers out of the country. Not that that would be better, (laughs) because it would assuredly require all sorts of even more fascist measures than are already being used. But really, the purpose of that, the way the law is written, is to make it so that undocumented workers can come into the U.S., but only in the most exploitable conditions possible, the most precarious conditions possible, where they feel they could never possibly stand up and fight back for what should be, you know, their rights at work. One thing, though, that this has served to highlight and is also is a test of the recent pronouncements from the federal government claiming that they will apply labor protections even to undocumented workers without threatening to deport them. Uh, unfortunately, while I would love to believe that this is the Biden administration we are talking about Mm -hmm. who have continued Trump's racist immigration policies, which were just a continuation of Obama's. And so I have to imagine for a lot of these workers, it's really tough to trust that sort of a pronouncement from the same government that has kept the concentration camps at the border open and I believe is on pace to deport even more people than Trump did. And keeps crushing strikes and keeps Mm -hmm. bombing other countries and escalating tensions with countries that we have no business getting in conflicts with. And 
doing every single thing they said that they wouldn't do because they weren't Trump. And Trump said he wouldn't do because he wasn't Obama. And right. all the way back, 300-some years. <laughs> yeah, so solidarity with these workers. I hope that for once the Biden administration isn't lying and these workers are able to get some level of support from the government. But unfortunately, I'm not holding my breath on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that maybe we should uh, continue our discussion on AI because very much so like a story that we covered a long time ago, uh, a lot of these technologies are very, uh, you know, signaled as just some robot, some computer program, when in reality they are generally, you know, uh, maintained or or like uh, staffed very often by highly exploited workers in, you know, the the global south. Yeah, I mean, surprise, everybody. AI wasn't dropped from the heavens. It is a product, <laughs> and it is made by people. It is conditioned right. by people, and it is upkept by people. Yeah, so we've talked before on the show about the scourge of click work, which is actually how a lot of these AI, in gigantic quotes, these programs, these algorithms are trained is through, of course, the use of human assistance. But this week, we, we got a new story out of workers who are working both in that field, but also as content moderators, which is also, that work is also used to feed AI programs. That workers in Africa who have been doing this work in, under extremely exploitative conditions have come together to form their own union and stand up against the Western tech companies that are exploiting them, which is super dope. So this practice by Western companies of farming out data processing work to criminally underpaid uh, workers in the global south has extended beyond, you know, companies like Tesla trying to program their incredibly terrible autopilot program or uh, ring doorbell outsourcing their feeds to a warehouse in Ukraine uh, to just have people watch the feed and identify people. Um, that's extended to the development of AI platforms like ChatGPT as well. And companies like Facebook, TikTok, Tesla, Amazon, and a whole host of other big tech firms have been hiring workers, especially workers in Africa, to train AI models and moderate content on their social media platforms. And, you know, while you, this, you kind of have a contrast here, you have the AI work, which that sort of click work is usually just mind-numbingly boring. It's like, this is a fire hydrant, this is a car, this is a bird. Doing captions all day. Bag. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, you have content moderation, which in form seems very similar. It's like, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. But the problem with that is that the stuff you're seeing in the that eventually goes in the not acceptable pile because you're the moderator, there is no filter between you and the broader internet. And so workers doing content moderation work often see a lot of really, really horrible stuff, like child sexual abuse, uh, you know, murders, uh, like d war, violence from war, you know, police brutality, domestic abuse, uh, all sorts of really awful shit that has led to... Uh, work, workers really anywhere around the world who do this work, developing PTSD, other mental health issues, and just trauma generally from the work. And these workers in Africa face these same conditions while making a dollar an hour. So Yeah, uh, 
just just absolutely ridiculous and really just any time that there are these tech companies also working with like african workers you can always assume that is for very very little pay yes Mm -hmm. well the bright spot here is that the workers have come together in nairobi kenya we've seen workers form the first african content moderators union Uh, Over 150 workers from across Africa came together to form the union with the goal of forming a large enough coalition to stand up to the tech giants and force them to provide decent wages and working conditions. One of the leaders of the new union, Daniel Motong, a... South African worker formerly worked as a content moderator for Facebook, but the contractor they hired him through, Sama, fired him when they discovered he was working with his fellow content moderators to form a union and bargain collectively. He was too cool to work at Meta. I mean, honestly, (laughs) it would be a badge of honor if it didn't cut off your income. Uh, So he is currently suing both Sama and Facebook, but more importantly, continuing to work to build the organization African workers need to use their collective strength to push back against these corporations. And at the conference, we heard from Motong, who said, quote, I never thought when I started the alliance in 2019, we would be here today with moderators from every major social media giant forming the first African moderators union. There have never been more of us. Our cause is right. Our way is just and we shall prevail. I couldn't be more proud of today's decision to register the Content Moderators Union, end quote. And that's really badass. And also, it's no short distance from South Africa to Kenya. Africa's big. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is a long distance to travel. So, uh, I mean, so not only, again, not only do we have, like, Kenyan workers coming together, it's continent-wide, which Mm -hmm. is... Super cool because, you know, they're starting with about 150 workers, but by having these seeds planted all over the continent, you, that could, each one, you know, can turn into a national union in each of those countries. And so, you know, workers at Facebook make up the majority of the folks in this new union, but there were also people from, as, as he mentioned, uh, who work at all the various platforms, TikTok and even OpenAI, the firm behind ChatGPT. And... Again, they're doing all this awful work while generally making less than $20 a day. And so there was another worker at the meeting, uh, James Oyange, who is a former content moderator for TikTok, who told reporters, quote, People should know that it isn't just meta. At every social media firm, there are workers who have been brutalized and exploited. But today I feel bold seeing so many of us resolve to make change. The companies should listen. But if they won't, we'll make them. Hell yeah. Yeah, so uh, this rocks. These folks are cool as hell. And I, I just think, like, not only is this just great news that, that these super exploited workers are coming together to stand up for their rights, but I also think it's important to highlight that in 2023, the way that uh, the functioning of imperialism around the world manifests is not always, you know, the traditional ways we're used to thinking about it, like, you know, mm-hmm. Canada existing as a coalition of three or four mining companies in a trench coat going into another country and buying up all their mineral rights for nothing and then extracting all of that. It can also look like <laughs> this. There's a like fracking sending- company in the trench coat, too, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't want to leave them out. Got to be fair. Uh, but this also 
is how imperialism functions. You have the outsourcing of this work, which is functionally, you know, you compare this to some of the incredibly difficult, dangerous work that migrant workers are like do here for, again, criminally low pay, like agricultural work, sanitation work, work that is incredibly important to the functioning of society, but is the sort of thing that these companies don't want to pay anything for. And so they do their best to pay as little as possible for it. And, you, you know, the domination of the U.S.-led imperialist bloc is what allows the, the countries in the global north to export this awful traumatic work to the global south and pay nothing for it. Absolutely. And also a thought struck me, which is that, you know how when uh, sanitation workers go on strike, they'll like pile trash on the boss's lawn or whatever. What if content moderators figured out how to get the email, horrible content? Just, <laughs> just wire the feed directly Mark to like Zuckerberg. Mark yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just the stuff they see every day is just being piped into every TV in his mansion. I mean, the logistics of it are beyond me, but I think it would be very effective if you could get it working. <laughs> yeah. Solidarity with these workers, but bringing it back to America for yet another giant tech company who is also actually kind of, that's the overlap here is Amazon is involved in both of these things. We've got a new horror story from Amazon, the same company that brought you the Amazon screaming booths as, as a way to do mental health care, which is not a thing. Um, I mean, they, in real, it's related almost because uh, it's similar to the uh, way that they want to do health care now. Yeah, well, they're now, you know, forging out even more into the healthcare sphere where they have launched, and this is coming from a story in the Washington Post back on the 1st, they've launched a new service called Amazon Clinic, which is a new health service that purports to help solve the crisis of U.S. healthcare by providing cheap online access to healthcare. Uh, but the big catch there is that in order to use Amazon Clinic, Customers have to turn over their entire medical history because, of course, it's Amazon's like, well, we're connecting you to doctors. They have to have your medical history. And then waive their HIPAA rights to privacy to protect said medical history. Absolutely fucking not. What the fuck are you talking about? Waiving HIPAA rights? That's like you wouldn't buy a house without doing an inspection. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do anything without having, oh my God, protections. It, it, they just want to erode everything. HIPAA rights. Well, yeah, they, they, what they I'm want stunned. to do is they want to sell all your information so that you can be advertised to so that, you know, especially different sorts of uh, systemically, you know, disenfranchised people, whether it be like, let's think about people who uh, are fat, you know, like that's going to be something like if your weight is over a certain amount, you're going to start getting ads even more for this sort of thing because suddenly uh, Amazon's going to have sold all your data to this or you're diabetic. And so suddenly mm -hmm. you're going to just be getting all of these, you know, different things for diabetes. Any, I mean, I just, there are so many examples. I'm, uh, it's ridiculous yeah, I, the amount of it, things that they could do. Imagine if your doctor had to CC Cambridge Analytica on everything. <laughs> right. That's what it is. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, they're touting this service as a, a cheap way for anyone to get help from a doctor, offering, like, minute clinic-style telehealth appointments for as little as $30. But, as reported by the, the Washington Post, in order to access their clinic service, they have to sign an agreement allowing the company, quote, use and disclosure of protected health information, end quote. And it allows Amazon to have, quote, your complete patient file, uh, quote, and notes that the information may be redisclosed 
after which it, quote, will no longer be protected by HIPAA, end quote. That's some you know, Victorian era shit. To me, this service shouldn't exist at all. There is no Whoa, reason for yeah. this service to even exist. Yeah. No, and you're absolutely right. And you're also completely right that, that, that it, again, this is like any other free or extremely cheap service we see online. It's, it, it, if they're not charging you for it, you're the product. And as you said, like it, the whole point of this is to be a, is to use this as a loophole, basically getting people to sign away their data so that they can then sell that data, as you said, to advertising companies. And it creates so many horrific possibilities. Like, you know, what if somebody's seeking treatment for an STD or for substance addiction or any other number of very personal issues. Like now your boss, if you're hired, somebody's hiring for a position and they go and they buy from some data brokerage firm that bought data from some healthcare firm that signed up with Amazon. And now your boss is able to go through your medical records and screen out people for, oh, this person was treated for being an alcoholic. This person person has a family history of heart disease. Right. Right, exactly. I mean, it kind of harkens back to the interview we did with Nate Holdren talking about his book about the history of the development of workers' comp and all the compulsory health examinations they started to do for that. So, yeah, this, it's a nightmare. Uh, like, this this is terrible. This and, the, and again, this is the same company that's like, oh, no, don't worry. They, they said, quote, uh, what was the, their, their deflection when they were asked by the Post? Oh, yeah, quote, we don't use customer data for purposes that customers haven't consented to, end quote. But you're making them consent to something. <laughs> you fucking end user license agreement ass motherfuckers. Screw like, like it's it, it, healthcare should never be given to you on the same terms that installing iTunes on your computer. <laughs> exactly. And this is the same company we're supposed to trust is going to protect your data that freely hands over ring doorbell footage the police without user permission or even notifying them. Yeah. And also reads all your conversations within earshot of any Alexa assistant device. So it's ridiculous. I mean, and, and the, they, they talked to uh, Sarah Gagan, who's a lawyer for the Electronic Privacy Information Center, who told Washington Post, quote, we don't need another pinky promise from a tech company that they're going to safeguard our data. We need meaningful limitations on what data they can collect and use, end quote. And that's correct. Yeah. So anyways, fuck Amazon. Yeah, meaningful limitations. How about fucking none of it? How about you make advertising illegal, full Mm -hmm. stop? You know what I think the real solution here is, uh, you know, along with, you know, healthcare for all, universal healthcare, uh, we could actually roll this all into one and uh, nationalize Amazon. That's right. And... (laughs) Uh, you know, another giant evil exploitative company that we should nationalize, uh, McDonald's, if only as criminal punishment for the stuff that we found out about this week. Uh, you know, we've been talking a really frustrating amount this year about the rampant increase in the use of child labor in this country as the United States moved backwards historically as the capitalist Uh, mode of production, which is incredibly outdated, continues to hold back progress in the United States and around the world. So on Tuesday, May 2nd, the Department of Labor announced the results of a sweeping investigation into illegal child labor use at McDonald's locations across eastern states in the U.S. 
Uh, Department of Labor investigators found illegal child labor being used at 60 locations in Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, and Maryland, with over 300 kids being employed working longer hours and doing more dangerous work than is legally allowable. And well, a lot of this is like, 15-year-olds being like working too late on a school night, which or, is bad. You mean anyone under the age of 16 touching a grill or a fryer? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and in the most extreme case, they found kids as young as 10 being employed as late as 2 a.m. at a McDonald's location in Louisville. Where I've worked at a McDonald's at 2 a.m. They have three people there and you shift jobs constantly. And well, so and like, they're almost certainly doing a lot of those dangerous jobs, too. I've been a customer in a McDonald's at 2 a.m., and I noticed <laughs> that about a third of the employee's job was de-escalating hostile situations. I don't know if that's appropriate for a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah. No, it's horrific. And according to the Labor Department's announcement, quote, the division found 688 minors employed illegally in hazardous occupations in fiscal year 2022, the highest annual count since fiscal year 2011. Among those was a 15-year-old minor injured while using a deep fryer at a McDonald's in Morristown, Tennessee, in June 2022, end quote. And and again, I just want to emphasize, like, as we've talked about so many times, like the Department of Labor, there are plenty of good people. I'm sure that genuinely, I'm not like, I think there are plenty of people who really do mean well at the DOL and they do want to do their jobs and they do want to protect workers. But structurally, the department is underfunded on purpose forever and always has been. And also the scope of what they're allowed to do is extremely limited. Right. And so if this investigation found 688 minors illegally employed in fiscal year 2022, you can guarantee yourself that number in reality is much, much higher. Yeah, I so, would say go at least in order of magnitude, and then beyond that, yeah. just use your imagination. Yeah, I mean, we do also have a quote here from uh, District Director of the Department of Labor, Karen Garnett-Sivils, who said, quote, too often employers fail to follow the child labor laws to protect young workers. Under no circumstances should there ever be a 10-year-old child working in a fast food kitchen around hot grills, ovens, and deep fryers, end quote. And uh, I, sure, I agree. And it would be really great if there were punishments. Well, uh, I guess there technically were, but as is trend for our government— Uh, it was incredibly minor. So four violations involving 305 kids at 60 locations, the franchise owners were fined a grand total of $213,000, which is less than $700 per child. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy because even in the quote, you hear her using the passive voice. Employers fail to follow the child labor laws. No, 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 no. They actively committed a crime when right, they hired exactly. that 10-year-old. Yeah, and it like these are not borderline cases, and even if they were, it's like people go to fucking jail for jaywalking. <laughs> and these people are making 10-year-olds work a deep fryer. People go to jail for eating a fucking apple in the produce section. Like Yeah. Like you they have people in doing like hard time because they walked out of a fucking Walmart with a television. Yeah. And and these people are putting kids again, like kids working on deep fryers, and getting burned, and all the other horrible shit that we're seeing. And what's going to happen to them? A fine that they won't even notice. They're going to blink, 
and oh, it's gone. I already earned it back because the 10-year-olds I'm paying jack shit to work at my terrible restaurant are making me so much fucking money. Yeah, there. this is literally like a negative repercussion. There, there is no, there is zero repercussion here. Right. It, it's the it is it is what the phrase a slap on the wrist was invented for. Because again, it is the government coming up and saying, "Oh no, no, you did a bad thing. Now don't do it again." Mm-hmm. And uh, to create again, just like with OSHA, the illusion of the protection of workers' rights via the law. You know, people talk a lot about security theater, something that corporations do where they perform a lot to make sure you feel like your information or your personal data or your house is secure. I really feel like so much of U.S. like labor, uh, official labor relations within the government is exactly the same thing. It's just them showing up and being like, it's okay. And it's like, wait, no, the whole point... Is that it's not we've okay. It, we've got it under control. Uh, we promise. Yeah. Now, now, and it, it's it's all the it's all of it is the George W. Bush moment from right after nine eleven, mm-hmm. where he's like, "Go back to the mall. Ever, do your patriotic duty and go shopping again." It's all that. For God's sake, buy a Chevy. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> shut the hell up. Don't worry about it. The government's got this. Now go spend your money. Go back to the mall. God, <laughs> sounds like our COVID response. But um, <laughs> yeah. But thankfully, of course, we do have a good story to end on this week. Uh, this is actually a story from a couple of weeks ago that didn't make it into the last episode. But we've got another new union in tech where workers at YouTube Music, the contract workers who have been uh, hired out by Google uh, with the firm Cognizant to manage the platform, YouTube Music, that Google runs, have now voted unanimously to join the CWA. Um, The 49 workers at YouTube Music, in case you were wondering, uh, shockingly, how few people can run a platform, which to me tells you how valuable each one of these people are. Like if you have less than 50 people are running this platform that has... Uh, let me see. 80 million subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I use YouTube music and shockingly it works despite being a nearly incomprehensible service. All of this underlining how important the labor these workers do is. True. Yeah, it reminds me of how few people were in the Bandcamp union. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, these workers had been, they've been organizing for months. They went on strike back in February over the company's harsh return to the office policy. And that policy was uh, implemented not long after the workers filed for a union election back in October. And so the workers saw it not only, of course, as unnecessary because their work has always been possible remotely, like even before the pandemic, but also obviously as a form of retaliation for unionizing. And These workers, who again, many of whom were working remotely before COVID, uh, they're employed at this other this firm cognizant the contractor that google's hired and they only make 19 dollars an hour with very few benefits despite again keeping this platform with 80 million subscribers running and so most of them have to work multiple jobs you know what this reminds me of this reminds me of the quote from snoop dogg earlier because he's wondering where the fucking money is these people are also wondering where the fuck (laughs) the money is you know, it's so interesting that we say labor peace is not in our interest at the end of the episodes when we could simply say, where the fuck is the money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Exactly. And so the union said, quote, in response to workers exercising their right to organize, Cognizant announced a retaliatory return to office mandate, which would have forced dozens of workers to voluntarily terminate from their jobs. Due to their low wages, workers cannot afford the relocation, travel, or childcare costs associated with in-person work. A majority of workers were hired remotely, and nearly a quarter of workers are not based in Texas, end quote, which is where Cognizant is headquartered. And in response to this unionization, Google has been very quick to try and distance themselves and be like, uh, quote, we have no objection to these cognizant workers electing to form a union. We've long had many contracts with unionized suppliers. <laughs> However, as we made clear in our active appeal to the NLRB, we are not a joint employer as we simply do not control their employment terms or working conditions. This matter is between the workers and their employer, Cognizant. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, I'm not racist. I've got a black friend, but for it Sounds workers. like the kind of thing a joint employer would say. <laughs> yeah. well, exactly. And you know what? For once, the NLRB actually agreed with you there, John. Oh, damn. <laughs> and back in March, they said that yes, in fact, Alphabet is the, which is of course the parent company of Google, is in fact the joint employer of these workers who work for YouTube Music, which is a wholly owned Google platform. <laughs> and so therefore, Alphabet must negotiate with contract workers who successfully vote to unionize as these folks just did. You wow, know. it looks like your fail-safes against being uh, harangued for monopolization only worked against the federal government, but not against the workers, and also when they appealed to the federal government this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever anyone uh, starts referring to like the CIA or the FBI as like the alphabet uh, you know, groups or whatever, I actually always think about Google, and I'm just like, yeah, you're right, Google is like the CIA. I always forget I mean, that Google's parent company is called Alphabet because it's such a pretentious name to be like, we're yeah. the Alphabet. Fuck you. The Alphabet <laughs> is the Alphabet. It has a song. That's how everyone <laughs> knows it. That's right. And and so, you know, this is uh, the latest addition to the Alphabet Workers Union. Uh, and earlier this year, the AWU successfully negotiated wage increases for thousands of workers who are contracted, once again, this is the AI episode, to train Google's AI platforms. And uh, those workers are also contracted by another company, in this case, Appen. And those workers were only being paid $10 an hour, despite Google's internal company policy, which they loudly trumpeted to anyone who would listen, that they pay all their workers at least $20. Giant asterisk, unless we contract that shit out. Um, and so after negotiations with the union, Appen agreed to raise the minimum pay for these workers to $14.50 an hour. And now, while, of course, these workers do deserve a real living wage, they deserve at least $20 an hour, getting nearly a 50% wage increase with, with how small the AWU is, is still a really big win. And so, you know, it's really dope to see not only real material gains coming out of this for tech workers, but to see this movement growing and with such enthusiasm with these workers who run this giant platform and unanimously voted to join this union that is already paying dividends. So uh, love to see this and, and hope to see this uh, movement in tech continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I'm just really glad to see so many people in tech fighting back because for so many years, it was, I, I mean, you hear a lot of tech workers, even today, who are like, I don't know how to get organized. How do I get some information on this? Well, now there are some examples. And if you are a tech worker who is in a similar situation to this, 
you know, you can look to this story. Maybe even some of these workers have a little bit of time to give you some advice on organizing your own union. I mean, if you really don't know where to go, you could hop in our Discord. There's a lot of very smart folks in there who can talk you up and uh, yeah, get true. you some contacts. So, Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, mm, I don't know. Speaking of other things you can find in our Discord. Whoa, that's incredible. right. There we go. <laughs> the meme review. A shitload of dank memes. <laughs> and of course, every week, the meme review. <laughs> so, our first meme this week is actually a meme from the labor movement itself. This is from Local 49 SEIU. Uh, and it's just got a first, it's a caption, and it's company paid union busters. Unions get in the way of that friendly relationship you have with your employer. And then it cuts workers, and it's a screenshot of Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Easy not to lose what you never had. <laughs> I love this yeah. too because it really does like lay bare how how ridiculous that claim is for the employer or the union buster to be like the union wants to take away that giant Easter Island head in your backyard. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> I if you are unionize, like, what's going to happen to our monthly trips to the water park? <laughs> I just, I just, just think shit up. I just think about like even things that like even like technically like might exist in theory like the open door policy every single worker yeah. knows that that's not true like mm-hmm. if you go in there and complain you're either gonna get told to just shuffle off back to work or you're gonna be on the short list of people who are getting fired next <laughs> that's right uh our, our next tweet is uh our next tweet what the fuck is wrong with me <laughs> our next meme is just a tweet that's what i meant to say and it's from katie delaney at katie delaney and it says i intend on making my signs slightly more unhinged every day and then her writer's guild on strike sign reads pay us or i will climb the wb tower and release the animaniacs i swear to god <laughs> <laughs> and I love this for a lot of reasons, not least of all, but because I have a deep spiritual connection to Yakko from the Animaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can definitely see the uh, the overlap there. <laughs> it's a vibe. Yeah, yeah, I love this sign. That I mean, just in general, though, like I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. They're writers; they do this for a living. But you, I gotta say, some of the best picket signs I've ever seen. I mean, this is one of the only strike. times comedy writers are gonna be funny for free. So lap it up. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I believe that uh, you know very often picket signs don't have that space to write in what you want. I think I mostly see it on like university campuses, and then here where there right. are just like lots of creative people who are are you know fighting back. But uh, our next meme is a uh, basically it's the the little girl looking at the camera with the house on fire in the background. But uh, at the top, very, uh, very ominous. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, At the top of this where the house is on fire, uh, there is a bunch of different articles about the covid pandemic, things from like heart heart disease risk soars after covid even in mild case covid-19 patients retain elevated risk of death for at least 18 months after infection and there's like just so many different like uh you know things about the effects of long covid or even just regular covid and then at the bottom right which is supposed to be like you know rep- the little girl who's looking at the camera it's a little cnn article says uh who says covid-19 no longer a global health emergency and uh i wanted to bring this in because i am so fucking sick of this like 
ending of the pandemic nonsense because there are still like there's I just checked yesterday and it was like eleven hundred people died this past week. Well, it's like my boss was asking me, he's like, you don't need to wear that mask anymore. Now that people aren't catching COVID at work here, you don't need the mask. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Now that people don't have the flesh eating bacteria, you don't need to wear gloves anymore. It still also, exists, you fucking piece of shit. And also, wasn't like, wasn't half your office out with COVID like two weeks ago? Damn near. Yeah. Two, two and a half, three weeks ago. And, um, fucking, oh, I said to him, I was like, you know, it's absolutely deranged that the World Health Organization said the pandemic was over. It wasn't a global health emergency anymore. And he, he was like, didn't they already do that a few months ago? And I was like, that was the CDC, you piece of shit. Like, what is wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is, that's the thing, though. Like, if, if you watch, you know, CNN or NBC or whatever, it, they might as well be the same thing. And also, it might as well have, have ended, you know, months ago. It's It's... Yeah, it's wild because you have all these announcements, both the CDC and just the Biden administration and the WHO. They they put these, oh, the emergency's over. And then like the next paragraph, they'll be like, well, it's not over because like hundreds of people are dying every day. So it's kind of hard to say it's over. But but remember also it's over. There's, there's a <laughs> negative number of available hospital beds. In the country, but it's basically done. We're in the home stretch, and you may as well just unbuckle your seatbelt at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's like I was having a conversation at work today, and I found myself, I just reflexively from absorbing all this shit, I said, it was like, oh, so, you know, back during COVID. And then I immediately caught myself and was like, well, wait, actually, still, like, which is still now. But it's just like, that's the impact of this shit that is just the the whole broader zeitgeist yeah, <laughs> yeah get, like the, get the idea get the get the words in your hand head ongoing pandemic just like never right. never drop the words ongoing pandemic yeah I'm, and, and to be clear i was having this conversation while masked so mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah no i'm not i'm not not for you i mean this is for the listeners more than anything well that's the other thing people will ask me at my various stops when they see me wearing a mask they'll be like are you sick and I'm like, no, I'm wearing the mask so I don't get, do I need to give you the Wikipedia link for mask? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, and I mean, this is one of the things that I, and I, I know I don't want to bring the, 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 the meme review down with that. We'll go to the next one in a sec. But like, I do think it does speak to how the deeply fucked up bourgeois ideology that is so prevalent in the United States has made the concept of solidarity. And this is something people pointed out even back in 2020 has made the concept of solidarity with other people, not only something that like people don't jump to as the immediate reaction to horrific events, but are confused when they see. And so you're just like, well, why, why would you do that? Why would you try and protect other people. We, we, we heard you don't have to do the thing that is mildly inconvenient to you. So why would you, why would you do it? Why would you walk over and pull a lever on a trolley track? <laughs> why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. I, I don't, there, there's, it's because it's like the, Oh, there's no economic benefit. So, you know, who's no one, you know, what's the point? Because everything is based on economic benefit. And even then just like, I don't know. It just reminds me of why people don't talk to their neighbors. But I, I, I think about that way too often. Yeah. So this next one is. Uh, sorry, I just saw this one. This is a lot of text. It's an iceberg <laughs> meme. 
Yeah, it's an Dan, iceberg meme. Dan that only means saw that the, the tip of the iceberg, and then <laughs> I did. It's true. The the meme so, review is now an hour long iceberg meme review YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, so we've brought in basically. You ever seen that you, that giant iceberg meme where it's all the conspiracies? Uh, it's that, but with all of the different societal factors that contribute to uh, visible poverty, uh, aka what the meme is referring to as street homelessness. Um, so I believe I would imagine this was put out in reaction to the lynching of Jordan Neely. Um, but so this is pointing out that it's like for every person you see out there on the street who is unhoused, there are, and then you see on the meme below the, 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 the iceberg below the water, people sleeping in cars, full shelters, rent burdened tenants, overcrowded housing, a housing shortage, decade long housing wish lists or wait lists. People who are in housing, but it's unsafe housing. Uh, squatting, people living out of motels, and of course, uh, our favorite, abusive landlords. Yeah. The only thing about this is that in the big text, the housing shortage, there is actually no housing shortage. Well, there are there, yeah, there is 19 houses or something like that per houseless person in the in the country. Yeah, it's, it's not so much a shortage as it is a mismanaged distribution. Yeah, uh, like with many things in the United States, <laughs> they're not underdeveloped; they're overexploited. That's right. Yeah. but it's just not yeah. instead of the global South this time. It's just the the housing stock, housing stock. Well, and like the surplus, the um, surplus army of labor. Yes, absolutely. But uh, yeah, anyways, I think really the more important moral of this story is that a uh, if it wanted to, the United States could end homelessness immediately today uh, it would be incredibly easy and by the united states budget standard incredibly cheap uh but also that in addition to the horrors forced upon most of the folks that you see uh, being forced to be unhoused you have all of these other awful ripple effects of the complete abandonment of you know um the entire u.s working class uh, about 150 million people <laughs> yeah but this episode has been a little bleak in certain ways and also difficult and we've been covering a lot of tough topics you know as we tend to do i wanted to bring in here at least one kind of nice meme at the end here <laughs> which this is uh this is what the the world is a fuck i'm not wearing the shirt that i uh yeah. that has that uh yeah meme. it's it- yeah, like what is it? Born to die. World is a fuck. I am trash man. Mm-hmm. Fake number million dead cops or something. Right. Well, this one has two cute little characters. Uh, I guess they're like anime characters that are like uh, like animal cre- animal people or something like that. But it, the text below it says, "Born to be a good friend. World is a place worth understanding. Feed them all." Nineteen eighty nine. I am capable of forgiveness and mercy. Four million or four hundred and ten million seven hundred and fifty seven. Th- no, it's billion, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. billion. Jeez, hold on. No, I got the number. I don't don't worry. No, I got the number. The number. Four four hundred and ten <laughs> billion seven hundred fifty seven million eight hundred sixty four thousand five hundred and thirty people deserving of our care and attention. That is so many more people than have ever been alive, and I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's preparing for the future. It's a meme that is Absolutely. timeless now. That's right. I just like well, you know, things that are a little bit nicer, a little bit more wholesome, which is why well, it's I, a uh, good, good corrective after those last two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, we also have a pretty good wholesome channel in the Discord. So jump in the Discord. 
But uh, this is it for us this uh, episode. And if you'd like to support us, and you know, this is we're an entirely listener supported show, so you can do that at patreon.com slash workstoppage. We really, really appreciate it. We're doing our new series on cybernetics, which is a really cool and fun nerd topic. So if you're tired of all of the very cool labor stories, how about a slightly different labor topic about uh, learning what we're going to have to do once we actually seize the means of production? Yeah, go listen to the first bonus episode. It's a lot less about labor. That'll be a nice change of pace and then listen to the upcoming bonus episode where i tie it back into labor you silly goose of course it's about labor (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah yeah. and if you'd like to help us out a little bit more you can write us a review somewhere you can follow us in all the places make sure to also jump in the discord for the reading group uh follow john on twitter at facebook villain follow the pod at work stoppage pod listen to beep beep let us listen to red game table and as always Labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Where's the fucking money? (laughs) Solidarity, everybody.
Thank you.